Welcome everyone to Faces and Feels. I am your host, Rafe Houston, and today I'm joined by a very special guest. She's an author and a journalist who's written for the likes of The Guardian, The Sydney Morning Herald, Vice, Rolling Stone. She's the author of two previous books, Cherry Bomb and Woman of Substances. We met through a very interesting mutual friend, the Snuff King Gore. It is Jenny Valentish. How are you today? I'm very good, Rafe. Thank you so much for bending the rules and having me on your show, being a non-wrestler. <laughs> That's okay. I have had a lot of wrestlers, but I try and anybody that sort of moves within those circles or like, you know, creates content relevant to, to wrestling or interviews wrestling, stuff, it's all interesting to me, you know, like uh, I mentioned to you off uh, off mic before we started that there's something sort of commendable about your journey. Not only did I enjoy your your chapters and and the read that is the book, but like you're somebody who kind of put their whole, whole body, you know, into something that you you had no experience with. So why don't you tell the people a little bit about how this entire project came about? Yeah, so the book, Everything Harder Than Everyone Else, uh, kind of bounced off the back of the previous book, was, which was an addiction memoir, but it was quite heavy on the research. It was a bigger picture look at addiction. And uh, I was thinking about endurance in particular. And where does hedonism end and endurance begin? Because it seemed to me like some people were kind of treating drug-taking like an Olympic sport and really pushing their bodies to extremes with this quite curious, well, with curiosity. Um, and I knew that there was this weird thing that there's one sport in particular that people throw themselves into when they quit for some reason, which is um, running, long-distance running. But I was thinking about other reasons that maybe why people push their bodies to extremes and other pursuits, and if they all have different reasons depending on the pursuits, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I looked at wrestling and bare-knuckle boxing, ultra-running, bodybuilding, porn, all sorts of things, and I, I found really interesting people to talk to within those categories who'd given it a lot of thought themselves. And it's weird, there's a bit of a, a, a Venn diagram when it comes to these pursuits. Like if somebody has to quit one thing, whether it's due to injury or retirement, they often kind of catapult into something quite similar. So you probably picks up on the fact that a lot of wrestlers got into porn and a lot of porn stars actually got into wrestling, particularly in the late 90s, early 2000s. That was a thing. So it's like swapping one extreme pursuit for another. So basically I wanted to get into who are these people, what's fueling them, how can I do it? Yeah, exactly. And they're putting yourself in that that? position. And it's funny (laughs) that you say that. You see it all the time. You see, um, you know, uh, Boxers who who are injured or MMA fighters who are injured, um, then going into wrestling because it's a more controlled thing, like still putting themselves and their bodies in those positions, you know? Which makes more sense because you would be casting around for a sport that you could do. Mm -hmm. I thought the porn one was really interesting. Not quite similar, but the similarities, I guess, are it's a spectacle. (laughs) Um, You're being quite larger than life. Um, you're performing, and often you'll have an alter ego as a wrestler, and you'll also have an alter ego as a porn star. So mm-hmm. they are quite natural uh, bedfellows, if you like. Yeah. Like Jasmine Sinclair, the porn star, she had her own wrestling company. Yeah. 
um, China, obviously, made porn films. Yeah, it's a lot of it. Yeah, exactly right. It's strange, and I guess when you're in those kind of physical mediums and you're body people and stuff like that, there, it's also like roles that you can just sort of step into and maybe take to a little bit easier than maybe learning an entire different skill or whatever, you know. You've built this body and you've built this reputation and you're like, what do I now do with it? That, that I'm still the centre of attention of. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly right. So in um, in your training and stuff, because in the book you're, you're training with Nick Mann uh, to, you know, be – like do my tie and, and things like that. So was that uh, something that you took on directly for the book or was it something that you were doing anyway and then that sort of informed your writing of the book, if that makes sense? I took up Muay Thai probably a few months before I started the book. Okay. But the idea of endurance had been sort of pinballing around my head. Uh-huh. Um, and then I found Nick Mann as a trainer. To be honest, he was the nearest. (laughs) (laughs) Really, (laughs) I live in the country, he's on my train line. But then we really hit it off, and I really love working with him. I think he's a really, really good trainer. Um, I found him so intimidating at first, just to, just to, uh, for people who haven't made the connection, he's the wrestler Snuff Daddy Gore, um, brother of Cracker Jack. And uh, I didn't know this, and I just walked in, and I, I thought, wow, this guy's got resting suicide face. I mean, he's got such a bouncer countenance, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. uh, until you get to know him. Uh, and then after a few sessions, I made the connection with his surname. I was like, hang on, is he Alex Mann's brother? And then that opens up a whole conversation about wrestling and whatnot. Um, but, yes, so I, I learned Muay Thai with him because he – before he took up pro wrestling, he was an MMA fighter in the Philippines mm-hmm. and in Australia. And together, we have got me into the amateur level. So I have my first amateur fight a few months ago. Which you, you do document in the book, don't you? Is that, that the one that you talk about in Nick's chapter? My glorious loss. Well, actually, in, um, in the chapter in which, I, in which Nick appears, that's... All interclubs. Oh, that's interclubs. That's right. Yep. Yeah, which are for the uninitiated, they're kind of like friendly bish boshes between gyms that get you ready for the idea of being a fighter. Yeah. And then in the final pages, I have my first amateur fight. And it's literally as I was finishing the book, like the week before it went to printer, mm-hmm. um, I happened to have my fight. I never thought it was going to get in the book because COVID's just slowed everything down. Before. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a shame. I could have had this nice parallel mission where I have a fight. It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Bummer. And then literally right at the last moment, it happens. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> well, that's good. But uh, I uh, have not finished the book, so uh, it doesn't go your way, that first fight, did you say? Yeah. A glorious loss? Well, I mean, it did go my way in that I had this personal mission mm-hmm. of having a fight, an amateur yeah. fight. And so I achieved that, and I feel genuinely really good about that. Yeah. Um, but now, of course, if you do it again and again and again, you can't just cruise on that, yeah, I got in the ring, man. You've got to actually bring the goods and be a serious threat. I was a threat, yeah. you know. It yeah. wasn't, you know, a walkover. But, um, but yeah, going forward, you've got to, you've got to be um, rising through the ranks. Yeah, exactly. And is, is that your plan? Like, it, it, because it, it started out you, you wanting to – 
to do something, you know, and, and change something in in yourself. And so, is that the plan going forward? You you want to keep you know moving forward and rising through the ranks and stuff? It's become like a real passion for you. I am training a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm still making up my mind whether I'm going to keep fighting. It's a uh, it's it's a huge commitment. I mean, anyone yeah. listening to this podcast will understand that because they'll be used to these kind of sports. But um. Yes, such a huge commitment of money and time and petrol and this and that, whereas I actually just love training. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to figure out, you know, is this something you want to keep doing publicly uh, or will you just enjoy it more quietly? Yeah, exactly. I I guess it's a a day-by-day sort of journey, you know, and as as, um, opportunities present themselves, I guess you make that decision as it comes, right? Yeah, it doesn't really feel like an urgent decision right now with fights getting postponed constantly yeah, either. I'm right, like, exactly. maybe we assess in a few months. Yeah, exactly. Um, so take me through that journey of like going from I've I've now trained for this thing and I'm going to step in the ring and fight another person. I deal with people who essentially have choreographed fights. You know what I mean? There's not that real aggression and and in the chapters that I read you obviously talk about it being into clubs and it's kind of more sporty and stuff like that what did that feel like on the day when you're like okay this is for real it's now me versus this other person you know that that must be like a pretty confronting situation to go through I've had you know scuffles in life and and stuff like that but nothing that's like real combat and I like to think at my age I probably never will I'm a pretty like quiet person like relatively level-headed and stuff like that so that idea of a combat situation is maybe something I maybe I will hopefully I don't you know come across so like is that uh, quite the I guess experience (laughs) What, what am I trying to say I think part of the attraction for a lot of people is that it is this kind of sanctioned violence and sanctioned aggression that you're not really allowed or supposed to do in day-to-day life. Even having a sense of competition, like that's discouraged in girls in particular. I certainly was a really competitive child, and then I realized this wasn't, you know, it was a destroyer of friendships and... uh, and sort of looked down upon, and I kind of squashed it in my teenage years and 20s and 30s, and now I'm like, wow, I really enjoy this sense of competition and aggression flaring in my brain as I bore my eyes into my opponent's eyes. And it wasn't just this sudden shock of having that in the amateur fight, because in the lead-up to that, you start sparring people very hard. Um, People usually with more experience than you who are doing you a massive favour and um, putting their own bodies on the line. So... um, you know, I'd been punched to the canvas before, which was handy because that also happened in the fight. Um, so <laughs> I'd already had that experience. Yeah. Um, so you, you're kind of ready for it. And uh, the marvellous thing of being in the ring in front of an audience, as any wrestler could tell you, is that you, the adrenaline is flowing. So all the things that you feel during sparring, you don't feel on the night. So uh, you basically kind of abstractly register that something's happened or there's been some kind of, you know, pretty effective leg chop. But um, you don't have to worry about it at the time. So that's a really unique experience. I haven't had that before. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like the adrenaline pumping through you and it sort of is all rushing past and it's not until later that you sort of take stock of your own, you know, physical well-being. Is that what you mean? 
Yeah, we just can't feel it. You literally can't. You can just yeah. feel there's an impact, but that's it. I was talking to Crackerjack about this in his interview, actually. Because, yeah. um, you know, he went through a period of a few years where he couldn't wrestle because he was injured. Yeah. But he came up with other things, like he would go to burlesque clubs and do things like, I think it was the bloody Pollock, he called it, where he's changed, changed from his ankles upside down, uh-huh. uh, blades himself, and then, like, blood splatters all over a big canvas. Mm-hmm. Um, but as he explained it, yeah, in a way, that kind of satisfies his need for a bloodletting and letting off steam, but... You can really feel it because it's not in front of, it's not under the lights in front of a, you know, a baying crowd. Mm-hmm. So it's completely different. And in our interview as well, he he had his staple gun, his trusty weapon on him. So he let me staple him in the head. And again, you know, there's a big difference between doing that uh, in the ring while you're busy screaming and, you know, pacing around, and while you're just sat in a pub. Yeah. Exactly. The, the adrenaline isn't up, that energy isn't up, and it's going to be quite a bit more painful because you're going to be focused on everything that's about to happen. Yeah. So the, there's a real weird intimacy as well with fighting and I, I, I would assume wrestling where, you know, you're trying to take someone's head off and it's literally just you and them. You, you know, you don't really, you're not really aware of the ref. And um, it's really intense. Like, you are reading their face, you're looking for fatigue, you're looking for confidence, lack of confidence. Um, and then afterwards, you know, when people really hug the moment the bell goes, it strikes me it's one of the few sports, if not the only sport, really, where that happens. Yeah. You know, the moment it's over, fighters of all levels are like, come here, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> coming in for the hug. Um, so it's this really intense kind of intimate weird intimate relationship and then you probably don't ever see them again like, it, it, like the butt sex yeah. <laughs> just like a one night stand basically yeah. i you i i think you, you yeah you said that in one of the chapters where um the is it christine the bare knuckle boxer talk a lot of shit to this other lady and they went out this big fight and they're trying to kill each other it finishes they have this like really like you know, tender moment where they thank each other, and then she was like, "Yeah." And then within you know moments of her being out of the ring, she's running her mouth again. You know? Yeah, she just can't help it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I do you know what? I would love if Muay Thai fighting could incorporate more of the wrestling thing of being a heel and trash talk. I yeah. mean, <laughs> that would really appeal to me if you can just outright be a massive asshole. Um, but it's it's frowned upon, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, well that that was another thing that you were talking about in the in the interclub or whatever when you were going into it. You mentioned how like uh, you were getting in the ring and you you're feeling quite pumped up about it, feeling pretty confident. You slapped your gloves together, and then uh, the other uh, lady came in and she you know bowed and did everything traditionally, and you were like, oh, that probably was you know a bit brattish of me, kind of thing. And yeah, then, then, yeah. yeah. He was coming in under the bottom rope, which is the Thai tradition for women, and yeah. like, yeah, bowings, wall four corners, and I was like, oh, I've literally just like, yeah, as you say, smashed my gloves together and done a bit of shadow boxing. Yeah, yeah. You, you're already coming in as a heel straight out the gate, <laughs> and you, you're to, talking about, you know, her brains. You're like, that's going to be the nicest thing in the fight. So you're already thinking like a pro wrestler. <laughs> like, yeah. I know. Yeah. I know. Well, I did a little bit of pro wrestling training years ago. Yeah. Um, not enough to actually perform, mm-hmm. for want of a better word. Um, 
But I did. It was Melbourne City Wrestling's training that they yep. used to do in Sunshine in George the Hitman Julio's backyard. Yeah. And uh, so it was Andy Phoenix and um, oh, damn it, temporarily forgotten his name. Uh, Tommy Hellfire. Mm-hmm. They were leading the classes, and I was a rookie, and I loved it. Like I, I discovered it because I was a journalist, and I went along to interview them. And then, of course, they said, do you want to go? Or what? maybe I asked if I could have a go. And then I was like, can I come back next week? And I think it was probably a bit annoying for the fellow rookies because they had been reared on wrestling, and this was their dream, you know, yeah. whereas I was like 37 and um, – just thought, oh, this is fun, and had no idea who who the sort of key wrestlers were of the day or even of decades past, yeah. which I have since learned and yeah. appreciated. But at the time, I was just like, oh, this is brilliant fun. I love it. But I wasn't really taking it seriously in that, you know, I would turn up once a week, but I didn't train any other days. Whereas now with Muay Thai, it's like number one priority in my life. Yeah. How many days a week are you training? Five to six. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, that's sometimes it's strength and conditioning, you know. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Jeez, that's crazy. And, and is that always with Nick, or do you, like, move between gyms and do, like, a bunch of different stuff? I um, I do move between gyms, which isn't really encouraged. Nick's fine about it, actually. But mm-hmm. um, I, uh, I do – sometimes I go to Melbourne Fight Club, and I work with this Malaysian guy, Hamza. We have so much fun. Like, sometimes he just runs at me with a – boxing glove on a big stick um, <laughs> okay. pad holder as well and, and he's, he's got that real fast kind of screamy way of pad holding Nick's very stoic on yeah. the pad. Mm-hmm. he's a very um, stoic man <laughs> he is yeah so I feel like I've learned loads of technique through Nick but if I want to just let off some steam go nuts I'll go to Hamza for a quick sesh <laughs> and then, uh, also in Ballarat there's um, uh, Dip Muay Thai and there's two Thai trainers who have been fighting you know since they were like eight years old mm-hmm. Dip and Rum um, so I'm working with them as well so you know it's not really the done thing but, but I mean my agenda is to have fun enjoy myself and learn yeah so you know if I was like 25 and wanted to be a pro fighter then you would have to do everything by the books yeah. with one trainer and mm-hmm. Be part of one club and all that thing, yeah. And, yeah, and tick all the right boxes, but that's not it's really hilarious actually because Nick works out of a boxing gym, mm-hmm. Misha's Boxing Central, and so he's not attached to any kind of Muay Thai team or gym. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we'd appear on these bills, be it Interclub or the Amateur, and it'd be like, who the hell are these people? You know, and my opponents would always have a massive support group behind them like a big gym and yeah all that kind of stuff and i'd have the lone way person clapping (laughs) (laughs) i I remember you saying that you guys like came in like uh the lone rangers because everyone's got you know got their big clubs and stuff and you just came in as team lunar and it's just you and nick that said though they could have uh, i'm sure that it still feels pretty comforting that they've got their big crew and you turn around and the dude in your corner is as big as he is. <laughs> <laughs> you go, I don't need anybody else. It's fine. He's like a human weapon. It's totally yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That helps, like, blocking out the light. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, do you ever want to or have you yet had a chance to train internationally? I know that, like, you know, Nick was in the Philippines and he was in Thailand and stuff like that. Is that something that interests you? I was absolutely 100% going to train in Thailand in 2020. Yeah, right. Um 
missed, missed that boat. God, the more I look into that, though, because I'm 46 now, and, like, my stamina is okay, but it's it just doesn't seem to get better, if you like. Like, yeah. it's a plateau. Yeah. When I think about what you have to go through in Thailand in a Thai camp of, you know, maybe probably minimum four hours a day, but starting off with perhaps a 5 to 10K run, heat, all that, jet lag, and I just think, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if literally physically I can do that. Yeah, you're like the the will is there, but whether whether yeah. the body wants to play ball is another thing, right? Yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to find out. I'll still do it. Yeah, yeah, you should de- you should definitely uh, give it a shot if the opportunity you know presents itself. Because I feel like yeah. the, just the experience itself would probably be an entire other book. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's good actually now that I work with two Thai trainers to have that experience too and learn their very kind of traditional st- style and their way of working and um, feel like you're respecting the sport a bit more by actually understanding its roots a bit more. Yeah, you know? exactly. I feel feel like that's the same for pro wrestling. It's for for any kind of combat sport or anything like that. There's traditions and and respecting where it comes from is very important to, you know, helping, I guess, promote its future and also to <laughs> learning, learning from the mistakes others have made in the past. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So let's run down the book a little bit for people because you obviously interviewed loads of people uh, with lots of interesting backgrounds. Um, maybe just a quick run through some of the interesting guests that are in this book. Yeah, so um, each chapter is a different kind of pursuit and also it's got a different theme. So um, there is a chapter on ultra marathon runners who I just cannot get my head around. Like to me, that's the ultimate and crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the injuries, the long-term damage yeah. that is done in those sports. I mean, I'd much rather cop a foot to the head, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, and uh, I found that, yeah, there's a real parallel between people who took a lot of drugs. My main interviewee, Charlie Engel, was um, a, a big crack user. Uh, and he then got into running, and there's tons of memoirs by people who had that same path. It's yeah. really weird. I think it's like the self-flagellation aspect. It's yeah. quite a loner thing to do. It's meditative. Um, it's like purging. You obviously get the feel-good chemicals, but there's also – it's more about the acquisition. Like like people almost are higher on the acquisition of the drug. Yeah. Like the planning of a race is, by all accounts, a huge high. And um, So there's always parallels. And then there's a chapter on bodybuilders. I found that really fascinating. I had so much respect for these people. Um, before, I had these kind of misconceptions of what a bodybuilder was, and they were all kind of like caricatures in my mind. Whereas actually they're incredibly fit, focused, productive people. Yeah. Um, I didn't interview people who were like super swole, guzzling, um, performance-enhancing drugs and checking themselves out in the mirror. Well, they do check themselves out in the mirror. Of course they do. But, but, you know, it's a job. The people, the people who I was following, rather than it being a vanity thing, it was all about building themselves up from nothing. Like they had these really chaotic childhoods where their parents were very inconsistent and they never knew what to expect next. And so they grew up and took up this pr- pursuit where it's all about structure. It's all about like knowing what's going to happen from hour to hour. It's about calculating your macros and your micros and 
what I'm going to be doing between 8.30 and 9 a.m. this morning. You know, it's all relief through order. There are a few chapters on martial arts and fighting, and um, the idea of that being very attractive to people perhaps who have felt really vulnerable at some time. Of course, these are generalizations, but I'm just saying that these different pursuits can be very attractive to people with these backgrounds. Absolutely. And uh, in the chapter about fighting in particular, I looked at the role of rage and ego and if they actually could be productive or not. Short answer, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but as somebody, you know, you took up fighting at a much older age, for instance, like the idea of being told what to do or um, humiliated in sparring mm-hmm. is just like almost intolerable. So it's part of the training really to to be able to withstand that. Um, There's a chapter on porn. I was thinking about, in particular, this era of porn in the late 90s, early 2000s, where it was all record-breaking feats, like record-breaking gangbangs and record-breaking insertions. (laughs) They were usually massively exaggerated. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But um, I was working at Adult Mags at the time as a writer, and I remember thinking, trying to get my head around why women were doing this like what was in it for them and um, I just came to the conclusion well they're seeing themselves as athletes and like they can put their bodies through things that most people really couldn't and they're getting some sense of pride in what they can endure was the conclusion I came to and uh, so I spoke to a few people in porn world about that that was fascinating oh there's a BDSM chapter where I talked to a male dom a dominance about what he gets out of it and his clients and why he thinks they attend. Um, So, yeah, all different kinds of things, including performance art, actually, because some performance artists are completely nuts. The things they do with their bodies, like jump out of 10-story windows or hang from flesh hooks or have surgery, is just off the scale. Exactly. It's crazy. Um some of the links people will push their bodies to. And I think as a whole, the whole read of the book, uh, while also cataloging your own journey of pushing yourself, you know, through stuff that you hadn't done before, seemed quite interesting to me. Um, as I said, I've only been through those two chapters, the the Crackerjack uh, pro wrestling chapter, where they touch on death matches, um, which is obviously a pretty extreme way to wrestle and to perform. Uh, and then, and yeah, your your fights and and your training with Nick and yeah, I found it to be uh, really interesting and just drew me straight into it. Was there a particular like you, you've obviously started this sort of later in life? Was there a, a particular moment that made you want to do this? Was it just something that was on like the bucket list for ages, or you're like, I just want to do more fitness, or or what? Like, or was it for the idea of the book? What made you decide to start training like at this sort of later kind of period? Um, when the last book came out, mm-hmm. which was, as I mentioned earlier, like it used my own addiction story, I knew that doing the publicity for the book was going to be really hard okay. because, you know, you might have six minutes on a radio station. They're going to go straight in for the really personal stuff. There'll be no context. Yeah. It'll be really hard. And just... so I started lifting weights in the run-up to that. Okay. Thinking... Very basically, strong mind, stronger body, you'll feel more powerful. Yeah. Um, 
did, I don't, wouldn't say that really helps because, it, it, you know, lifting weights for six months, it didn't really have that effect. But then afterwards I thought, I might do some Muay Thai. There was a class in my local town where I live. Um, and I started on that and I thought, I love this aggression. Even though at this point it's just hitting pads that someone's holding. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy that. And maybe it would be really good for anger management. Yeah, <laughs> yeah fair enough. Couldn't have more wrong because yeah. uh, learning to fight is this roller coaster of every kind of emotion yeah. uh, and mainly anger. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. anger is the emotion that hides every other emotion like, yeah. that we don't want to feel because it makes us feel vulnerable. So if you're feeling something like shame or sadness mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. hurt feelings, yeah. you just put anger over the top to disguise that. Yeah, and just coat yourself like, in it and feel feel righteous fury and it's fine that I made this mistake or it's fine that I did this, I get to do what I want or whatever. And yeah. Yeah, exactly. Are you finding now that through like uh, the discipline and stuff that you're learning through this that that's actually helping with that? Like do you feel like it, it's made you more aware of stuff and actually helps your anger management? Um, I've found that, in terms of Muay Thai training, my ego is reducing and I can be a bit more humble in taking instruction, even under great pressure and pain. Uh, I don't know if it's applied to my general life. I ha- now you mention it, I haven't felt angry for quite a while. Oh. So, you, <laughs> may, so like, you might be, it might be doing it without you even knowing it, you know, yeah, just yeah, leaking, leaking, it, into, it? leaking into, you know, your, your being and like where they're sort of teaching you to assess things in moments where you should be under, you know, extreme, you know, uh, pressure and anger and stuff and you're finding clarity within those moments. Maybe that is leaking over into your day-to-day life. You see these, you know, martial arts masters and stuff, you know, like the the stereotypical, you know, Japanese monk and all that and they're so calm. Maybe, Maybe it's happening to you without you even knowing it. But on the flip side, I remember Cracker Jack saying in his interview... Uh, he was talking to his therapist about his sort of curate, curated violence that yeah. he does. Mm-hmm. And his therapist was pointing out, well, you're actually kind of deepening these grooves in your brain, like the neural uh. pathways, mm-hmm. so it becomes easier and quicker to reach a state of aggression. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes sense. I thought I was wrapping it up in a nice little bow there, but maybe we never can. <laughs> I like an ambiguous ending. Yeah, exactly right. Oh, Jenny, thank you so much for your time. Like, the, I, I think the book is really awesome. I think people would get a lot out of it. You don't need to be a pro wrestling fan. You don't need to be a Mai Tai fan or a BDSM fan, you know. There's, there's just, like, something to be said about this conversation and, like, the parallels that that you discuss in the book so tell everybody like where they find you and where they can grab the book they want them finding me Um, (laughs) well find find the the book's uh page or whatever it may be yeah so uh well um it should be in the shops now so all good bookshops Mm -hmm. and um also in all the usual online places like amazon booktopia you basically just type everything harder than everyone else into Google and it will tell you. <laughs> and there's some good, I've seen there's some good um, value <clears throat> copies being sold already. Like even before it went on sale, Booktopia were doing 20% off. And there's an audio book um, which you can get via Audible. And it's kind of cool. I've never seen this before, but 
they used snippets from my interviews at the beginning of each chapter, so you can hear the person you're about to meet. Oh, wow. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah I mean, I didn't know at the time, so my audio is just like, um, you know, pumping music in the backgrounds and me phrasing questions badly. But um, <laughs> I chose some clips where at least the interviewee gets to shine. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I think that's really interesting. I'm a big audiobook guy. That's how I do most of my reading as a rule, like on the move while I'm doing other things. So I, I reckon I'll have to get that copy and have a listen to it that way. I even bought it myself. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, if you're not going to support yourself, who else is going to support you? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody, check out Jenny's book. It's absolutely awesome. Uh, and do yourself a favor, pick up that audio book and, and just have a have a listen to something that's really quite interesting and a little bit introspective as well. Thank you so much for your time, man. That's genuinely my favorite interview I've ever done. So oh, thank you. That's very sweet of you. Thank you very much. So, everybody out there, for Jenny Valentish, for Faces and Feels, remember, it's all about peace, love, pro wrestling. And about good books. Go read it. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Faces and Feels is a DIY project created and edited in-house by me, Rafe Houston. You can show your support by following us on Instagram at Faces Feelscast, Twitter at Faces Feelscast, and Facebook at Faces Feels Cast. Or send us an email with topic suggestions or feedback to facesandfeels at gmail.com and don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Our banger theme is Loose Lips Sink Ships by the Thunder Vipers. Check it out on Spotify. And now hang around for a quick word from some friends of the show. Peace out. My body is a roadmap of pain. Deathmatchworldwide.com, the official online merchandise store that is only for Deathmatch Wrestling. Featuring official t-shirts from No Peace Underground, John Wayne Murdoch, Akira, Madman Pondo, Zona 23, Neil Diamond Cutter, G. Raver, Schlack, Necro Butcher, and many more. If you are a Deathmatch Wrestling promotion, manager, or platform and are interested in joining the web store, send us an email to deathmatchworldwide at yahoo.com. Deathmatchworldwide.com for the violent views.